And you're back with Encounter with God here on Faith FM, where we are studying the Bible together, part of the 20 million movement, 20 million people around the world studying the same passages of the Bible each day. Indeed. And, uh, of course, a very special welcome to Parker's pastor, Marcus. Parkers. <laughs> Hi, Parkers. How's it going? Excellent. Parkers Pundell. <laughs> pastor Marcus Mundell. Pastor Marcus Mundell, who was Master with us Parkers for Pundell. the... Master Parkers Pundell. I can't yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mon. Um, who was here with us for the interview section uh, to talk about his Kingdom Builders program and is able to stay on for the Bible study. So we're super excited that... Uh, he is able to join us today, but before we do, we do have an answer for the quiz, and we have Andre from Slagstas Hill. Slagstas Hill. Yeah, that's how you say that. With one. the correct answer being Moses. Moses. Yeah, good on you. I had some really good clues coming yes, so up for did this I. one. We're going to make up this some homemade This person grew clues. up in a marine environment. This person mm-hmm. got angry and hit a rock. Yep. This guy, part of the Red Sea, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that one's... Via really the Ten obvious. Plagues. Anyway, I'm going to kick off a whole brand new quiz straight away. So, brand new quiz, what number am I? Clue number one, the Lord made a shadow go back this number of steps as a sign to Hezekiah that he would live 15 more years. If you know the answer, give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Uh, Andre, you won a copy of the Ministry of Healing but I will give away a copy of The Great Controversy to someone who can tell me the answer to that one. Do you know the answer? Oh, yes, you do. You've written down the correct answer. Mr. Smarty Pants. Mr. Slyle Lowthwell. If you're using your methods of people's names this morning. <laughs> Gonica Malash. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> you're not Gonica Malash yet. But when the program's over, you'll be definitely gone. <laughs> uh, forgive us, Pastor. Uh, okay, so we have been talking about culture this week and culture in relationship to change. We began by talking about culture in relationship to Christianity and how uh, a person responds to Christianity or Christianity responds to culture. Mm-hmm. When a person becomes a Christian, it, it uh, there are some parts of culture that are great and that you keep and maintain and other parts of culture that you do away with that are negative when you become a Christian. Then we looked at uh, things like culture and the family um, and how culture affects families and once again how um, you know the, the, the power of, of culture on a family, some, some bad aspects of culture. We looked at some very negative uh, experiences yesterday in relationship to people adopting their culture over uh, the Word of God and how it badly affected their family. And today we're talking about sustaining families through seasons of change. And so when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, there are going to be some changes and some of those changes are going to affect their uh, their culture. It's actually really interesting. If you, if you think about you know change in a family, usually is referring to a culture change. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And often yeah. not so much the kind of culture change that we think of when we think of culture. For instance, uh, you know, uh, Marcus here who has dealt with a massive culture change moving from one country to another. Oh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, Marcus, you're a prime example to tell us all about this. Where did you, you come you are, from? You are, you are exhibit A of, of this ex- the whole experience. 
See, a lot of people in Australia were born here, but I'm here by choice. <laughs> great country to live in. That's a great way to introduce absolutely yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> love to be here. As I, when I arrived, a great Aussie friend uh, who now is, I just met him, but a great Aussie friend now, but he told me I first came, he said, you know, America and Australia are very similar. He says, uh, you know, America was started by a bunch of good citizens who became a bunch of criminals. Australia was started by a bunch of criminals who became a bunch of good citizens. <laughs> <laughs> I can see some similarities there. It's very flattering, isn't it? Ah, there, but the, there is a great debate amongst culture. What's the best culture? Is it this nation's culture? Is it this, you know, little group of people's culture? I guess as a Christian, my, my viewpoint is that the best culture in the universe is the one up in heaven. Amen. Where God and the angels, holy angels are. And I think no matter which culture we come from, we should say, how can I adopt that culture? And if every culture in the world attempts to bring heaven into their culture, that's what you said, the word of God, that that's where it's at. It's not about retaining anything from this world because we're not going to live in this world forever. And there's some cultural things which are, you know, Neither here nor there. It's okay. So when to you do when you moved things. from uh, the United States to Australia, how many years ago was that? Uh, about uh, seventeen years ago. About seventeen years ago. Um, did you retain any of your American culture apart from your accent? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I still have the accent, but <laughs> sure, there's some things you always retain. Sure. Um, you know, Thanksgiving holiday. You still do Thanksgiving? Oh, I still do. That's Thanksgiving. awesome. We bring Aussie friends over every every year, and they love it. See, yeah. we do Thanksgiving every year, and we invite American friends over. So yes. we have a, an American get-together. But uh, we were having a discussion here this morning, uh, yesterday morning, Mon and I, and we were saying that we need to institute an Australian Thanksgiving because it's the best holiday ever. It's the best cultural holiday ever. Yeah. It is. It's a Christian It's a Christian holiday. It really is. Absolutely. And uh, it's so positive. And we were thinking that uh, our vote yesterday was for May 8th. Because we couldn't get us, we haven't been able to get Australia Day changed to May eight, so we thought, well, let's make it Australian Thanksgiving, you know, Mate Day. So um, that was that's, that, that that's was a great, that, that's I, a great I, I think that we need to. Uh, I think we need to I'm have Australian th- Thanksgiving. So you yeah. should vote for one of us if you could, please, Pastor. Just either Lyle or myself to be, to be dictator of Australia. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have all problems solved. Did you have culture shock when you came over here? Um. In a lot of ways, yes. Okay. Yeah, it was a healthy way, I think. It's really nice because, yeah, Australia was a place where um, you could talk to people back then, uh, in, even in Sydney, and they'd walk up to you and talk to you. In America, if you talk to somebody in a city that doesn't know you, they look at you like you're really weird, like what are you trying to sell them, or you should be in a mental institution. Now, you this know, is interesting. Abnormal. This is interesting. You see, my wife comes from Northwoods, Wisconsin, like out in the bush. And moved from there to Sydney. Mm. And in moving from there to Sydney, she's like, all oh, these people, they don't talk to you. They're so cold. Because out there in the bush, you know, <laughs> you know how it is in country places. Everyone talks to everyone. And uh, so she had a kind of an opposite experience. Which I um, guess that's the, that's the culture of country versus city as right. opposed to country. To, like, as in like, like yeah. country to country, as in like nation to nation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. It's interesting how country, like, like, um, like country city culture is similar the world over. The further away you get from the city, the friendlier people are. Yeah. Anyway, as an, as, as an American, are there aspects of American culture that are um, a, a sort of anti-Christian? Oh, absolutely, there are. I think every culture has those things. I yes. don't think any culture in this world right now. We were can talking say, about we were talking about the drinking culture here in Australia, which America has as well. America has American Idol. I mean, what's that? What's that? I mean, they, they come out even call the name something. But, you know, the, the idols in America are, are generally sport mm-hmm. and Hollywood. Celebrities. Celebrities. 
Those are the and and entertainment of any kind of sort. That's kind of the some of the major. It's kind of a sign if you if you study it historically, it's a it's a sign of decline within a, a nation. That's right. When the um, when the idols become entertainment, right? You know, study the history of the Roman Empire or any great empire. You know, it reaches a certain point. It it works hard. It goes through hard times. It builds up. It becomes wealthy. Uh, the focus com- turns from uh, from nation building to entertainment, and it collapses. Mm. Yep, that's right. And so we can certainly see the signs of the times in uh, both of our countries right there. Okay, let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to read the first five verses. Mon, if you could read those for us, please. Yep, let me just flick them up. And we're going to find here that Abraham has an experience not unlike Marcus's experience, but in some ways very unlike Marcus's experience. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haram. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, well, that's the rest of the verse there. Yeah, okay. All right, so that gives us the uh, basic story that we have there. Is there stress involved in changing countries? Yes. Is there anxiety involved? Let alone changing countries, just changing house is a huge <laughs> stress. How big of a stress is changing house? The three most stressful times of a person's life is divorce, death, as in death of someone else, not of yourself, and uh, and moving house. It's huge. It's a lot of stress. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a uh, a fairly high stress situation that Abraham is going through here. He's not just changing house. He is changing country. And uh, a number of us have been there, so we'll talk about that in a moment. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. It's definitely going to be more stressful, though, because if you think about it, most people, like if you look at the statistics, when they move house, they actually never move that far. They're always like within like, you know, 5Ks-ish of where they were already originally were. So to think that that is the most stressful, one of the most stressful things you could do to your life, to think of then moving to a whole nother nation, I just stress on stress on stress. Okay, so in one year, I got married, changed continents, started a small business, um, moved house twice. And we had, well, we, 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 we did all of these things mm-hmm. and had our first child. That was all within uh, 12 months. Oh, and ran, ran a major evangelistic campaign. Yeah. Um, does that qualify for stress? I hope Absolutely. you are eating your oats. I hope you are eating your oats. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing that I think the older you get, the more stressful these events are. Mm. Because when I was 22, 23 years old, uh, it was a piece of cake. It was like it was a breeze. It was all part of the adventure. It was great fun. But now I look at it and I think about doing all of those things within 12 months. You're like, no. No way in a million years. You just got to take a nap thinking about it. And that's where this biblical story is so amazing because here Abram is 75 years old. That's right. He's I was an old coming, man. Absolutely. And God says, get away from your family, away from your city, away from your country and go. 
Okay, so if you're a listener today in your 70s, how would you respond if God came to you one day and God called you to go to another country? What would you say? I find it fascinating when you read the book of Hebrews about Hebrews chapter 11, all the men of faith, and it talks about why Abraham was a man of faith. We automatically think of Abraham and Isaac. He was a man of faith because he was prepared to sacrifice his son. But the book of Hebrews does not highlight the, highlight the Isaac story. It highlights his changing country story. Mm. Okay, do you think it was more stressful for Abraham in his day to change countries than what it is for us in our day? That's a really good question. Yes, it is a good question. I actually think it probably would have been harder for him because in our day and age, you can switch countries, but you can still communicate with your former country with with, with the Internet, with phones, etc. Back then, when you left, there was zero communication back. Your fan, friends and family would die. You wouldn't even know. You wouldn't be there for major events. You'd have no idea. Yeah. you And you wouldn't – leaving, you wouldn't even know that you're ever going to see them again. Right. It was like a massive risk. Yeah. Yeah, and you sort of see that coming through when um you know when when Abraham sends his servant to look for a um you know a, a wife for Isaac. Mm. You know, and he, and he reconnects with family that you know they the, the indi- indication is they haven't heard from for you know 20 30 years and they weren't really that far away. You know, what would it be 2 hours drive in in in, in modern day society whereas back then, you know, that was uh Quite so far strange. away that there wasn't even any communication through there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, I think so too. And also the other aspect that I see is that you couldn't jump on Wikipedia and look up what Canaan was like and find out, you know, is this a nice place to go and where am I going to live? And, yeah. Um, what language am I going to speak and what kind of people live there? And, and you know, Every time I move house, I tell my parents my new address and they'll go on Google Maps, Google Satellite, and they'll have like more information on my new house, my new street, my new suburb, the whole kit and caboodle before I even know. Yeah. Yeah. They know before I do. They can go on Wikipedia. They can tell me all the stats about my new suburb. And I'm like, okay, guys, <laughs> I'm the one moving there, not you. But yeah, it's true. You, you can't, back then he couldn't jump on there and, you know, see, you know, put in Google Maps, Canaan. Do you think there was financial stress on Abraham in doing so? You'd think so. He's moving from the most civilized city in the world. You know, if you think of where would the most civilized city in the world be these days? Mm. California, like Los Angeles or Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne. Um, you know, there's some very, very to a place that was probably somewhat like where we went to in Africa, <laughs> yeah. Mon. Yeah. You know, a very, very undeveloped part of the world. And that would be a major, major culture shock for Abraham. And he's moving from this incredibly civilized city. You know, this place had its own and its own sewage system and had running water in the homes. It was just, you know, it was it was just, Ur was a phenomenal place as an ancient city. Uh, and he lives the rest of his life in tents and as he, a nomad. That's right. He, he, he was a very wealthy man. He got his wealth from living in that city. Mm-hmm. So now how is his wealth going to continue when he's in the country? And uh, when I learned Hebrew in, in university, the Hebrew teacher is quite a stoic teacher, but when he came down to, we learned this, we learned a bunch of vocabulary. And did you know that, you know, do you want the word to pitch a tent? In Hebrew is the word to pitch a tent in Hebrew is ohel, and, <laughs> and our professor said gives you an idea of what the Hebrews thought of camping. <laughs> so Abraham left the city for pitching tents for the rest of his life. That's that's yeah. a major thing. Yeah. How many of us would want to live in a tent? And the Book of Hebrews highlights that you know the fact that he lived in tents. 
for the rest. Of, he, he, he was still a, well, very, a fabulously wealthy man, mm. but he did not maintain that same civilized lifestyle. You can kind of understand why Lot ended up in the city of Sodom. You know, Lot looks down there into the valley, and Sodom was small compared to Ur, very, very small compared to Ur, but a similar level of civilization. He's like, you know what? That feels a little bit like home down there. Mm. Mm. And you can see him sort of like, yeah, this is a this might be a good move. Well, it didn't turn out to be the case because, as with uh, most cities, it turned out to be a bit of a disaster for him. There must have always been, uh, also been an added layer of stress for Abraham because he had all these other people in his household that he was responsible for. Like, it's one thing to just move by yourself or even just move with a spouse, but to move and have extra family and staff come with you and then you're suddenly responsible in some way for their happiness. I mean, I found one of the most stressful things about going to Ethiopia was that I'd convinced my best friend Vanya to come with me and she doesn't travel that much. And then we got to Ethiopia and I was like, oh. And suddenly I felt bad that she might not be having a great experience. And I, I feel like Abraham must, like in the back of his mind, must be like, oh, I've just gone and gotten all these people to come out of Ur, a nice civilized city, and now we're all tramping around pitching O'Hell tents. And <laughs> <You'll never laughs> Wouldn't you feel like a bit bad about that? You would, but Abraham had such trust in God. He knew this was best. And you look at the, the you know, the results of Lot living in the city versus him in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the generations of righteousness because he lived in the country. God knows what he's doing. When he asks us to do something, it's always for our own benefit. But we there's don't a, see there's that a, the There time. is a huge lesson here about country living, wouldn't you say, Marcus? Absolutely. It's a fantastic lesson. One that we should all take note of. If you can possibly get out of the city, get out. And live in the country. There is a reason why I live where I live. And uh, this is part of the reason right here. I've just happened to be blessed, like enormously blessed, that I live in the Hunter Valley, uh, which is a particularly beautiful part of the world. Uh, but anyway, um, let's, uh, let's have a look at the level of responsibility Abraham took on when he left Ur. Mon, can you, uh, or Marcus, could you read for us uh, chapter 14 and verse 14 of Genesis. Yes. So Genesis 14, verse 14. And this gives a little bit of an indication of the size of, uh, of Abraham's enterprise. Sure. Genesis 14, 14. When Abram heard this, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Okay, so that gives you an indication of the size of Abraham's enterprise. If you've got 318 trained men in your house, then you've got at least 1,000 people. Born in his house. Yeah, there's a born in his house. That's right. So there's at least 1,000 people that are Mm. a part of his household. So he he took a little a little village with him, almost a little city with him. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And and, and he's responsible for all of that. And he's 75 years old when he leaves. Um, so yeah, he's really taken something on here, um, and this would have been a time of you know traumatic change um, that they were facing. And uh, Abraham just steps out by faith, and he's like, "Okay, this is where God's called, so this is where I'm going to go." Mm. How old were you when you came to? Am I allowed to ask how old you were when you came to Australia? When I the first time I came, I was 21 years old. I came for just one year, then went back for a few years, and then came back again. So I was quite young, yep. quite excited. Yeah, a lot easier when and you're I think, younger to I, do I think those that's, things. I think, that's the, I think that's one of the things that makes the difference because, you know, when I went to – when I moved to the United States because I kind of went the opposite direction and was three years over there, um, and for me it wasn't traumatic in the least. There was no anxiety involved in it. It was just one grand adventure. Mm. Mm, mm. 
But now if I was to move to the States, I would suddenly start to stop and think about, okay, I've got to do this and I've got to do this. Is God really calling me there? You know, mm. <laughs> Is this really a calling from God? I have um, no doubt that the, uh, the kids in this 1,000 village that Abraham moved out were probably just crazy excited. It was just one big adventure for them. I'll yeah. bet it was. I'll bet it was. Pitch and tents in the wilderness. Okay, so we've got a bunch of other uh, examples here that we can look at. The next one we're going to look at, who, somebody who goes through massive amounts of change, is a young girl by the name of Hadassah. Here's your, here's your extra um, for bragging rights. Give us a call, 1-800-324-843, and tell us what her other name was during the song. You've gotten to the end of this song, which is, uh, what's a long one? Six minutes and 12 seconds. It's uh, Faith First. We speak to nations.
Faith First, we speak to the nations here on Faith FM, and for Faith First, that was the first time we have, the first time we've had that song here on the, on our station. Mm. So it was kind of nice. Let's have it again sometime. You didn't even listen to it. How would you know it was nice? I was listening to it in the background. No, you weren't. You yes, were chatting the whole time about Australia's debt problem with Parker Smucker. Yeah, but... Parker Smucker. <laughs> now I've gone and done it. <laughs> you have done it. See? Parker Smucker. <laughs> it, you had to, way too much fun with that in the last segment. Now it's ruined my time. And now it has infected you. <laughs> so you sorry, Parker. Sorry, Parker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we're talking about Hadassah and nobody called up to tell us who Hadassah was. So nobody gets bragging rights, but uh, Hadassah has another name. Let's go to uh, the book of Esther, mm-hmm. which is her other name. And we're going to start reading in chapter 2. Mon, I think it's your turn if you can read for us uh, verse 7 to 9. So that's Esther chapter 2, verse 7 to 9. Where is the book of Esther? In the Bible. Yeah, thanks. Yep. I'm like... 
I'm still yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. Parkas. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about all the different words we go. could make with it. Thank you. <laughs> there you are, Esther. Sometimes I take books out of my Bible. Okay, uh, Esther what? Esther chapter 2, verse 7 to 9. 7 to 9. Okay, this man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Okay, so what was her background? Uh, I guess she was Jewish, eh? Okay, so she's Jewish. Um, What else do we know about her? Uh, She is an orphan. Okay, she's a Jewish orphan girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereabouts does she live? It doesn't say in those verses right there. But she lives in Persia. Yeah, she lives in Persia. Iran. Yeah. So you've got quite a few different cultures coming coming through here, don't you? Because an orphan child kind of has their own culture. You know, they've they've, they've grown up with somebody else's parents and she hasn't grown up with her birth parents and so that uh, is going to affect who you are. Then on top of that, she is Jewish, so she's got Jewish culture. But she was born in Persia, so she has Persian culture. And then, because we know the story, who does Esther become? The queen. The queen of what? The greatest nation in the world at the time. Mm. The greatest empire the world knows at that particular time, which was the Persian Empire. So those are some massive, massive changes of culture that she is dealing with here and having to navigate, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Now, as she navigates these changes, does she reveal all aspects of her culture? No, she doesn't. She keeps it mm. hidden, but she does keep her faith in God. And that's sometimes we have great changes and we lose our faith in God. We we give up on him or we, we get so successful and prosperous, we think we don't need him anymore. And she doesn't do that. And I think that's the underlying message to any sort of culture change that you can go through is to follow Esther's example. And no matter what change, outward culture change that you have to navigate in your life, if you always are anchored to God and you keep God as your as your mainstay, as your main focus, the culture can change around you continuously, but you should be steady. Do you think there would have been pressure on Queen Esther to, uh, to ditch her her connection with God. I think just being told by her uncle Mordecai to keep it hush-hush is already a pressure in and of itself. Okay. And obviously for her to for it to be necessary for her to keep her faith, her religion quiet, um, there's obviously something going on in the background here. There's obviously some pressure in the Persian Empire uh, that is against God that is against the worship of Yahweh, that is against Judaism um, and Esther's religion. There's obviously some pressure here already that she is keeping it quiet. Um, But, you know, you often find that when people are are poor or when there's um, terrible things happening that they turn to God, Esther has gone kind of gone the other direction, hasn't she? She's gone from being poor and being an orphan girl to being the queen of the most powerful empire on the planet. Mm. So now she has access to unlimited wealth. She has, you know, she's got servants. She's got, you know, she's got everything. It's, it's, it's all completely laid on. It would have been very, very easy for Esther at that particular point to lose her faith in God. And yeah. yet she doesn't. And this is the thing. My question is, would we know about Esther today? Would we know what her name 
is. Would her name be, you know, kind of a household name today if she had not kept her connection with God? I don't think so. Yeah, I'd say absolutely not. Would we be sitting here today having this Bible study if Esther had not maintained her faith in God? Actually, no. Why is that? Because at that point, the, the, the true religion was almost extinct. Yes. It was hanging on by a thread. It was hanging on by a thread, and while it was hanging on by a thread, what is decreed against the worship of God? Yeah, this is like you can re- in this story. You can really see the devil, the great controversy that the devil is just having one last push here to wipe out uh, God's true religion of the face of the earth because he's working through Haman, mm-hmm. um, who was like the uh, prime minister, prime minister, yeah, like the advisor, and he was pushing to have. Uh, all the Jews just eliminated. He wanted to do what Hitler did in Germany. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And she, at, at, in her position, she could have hidden that she was a Jew, and she probably would have been, would have been spared, would have been just fine. Her, her Jewish people would have been wiped out, and she would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But she risked her life, and she didn't need to And do if that. the Jewish people had been wiped out, you know, it was within Judaism that the worship of God was preserved. And, you know, sort of probably small pockets here and there elsewhere, you know, the, the Bible sort of indicates, you know, if you random... Uh, servants of God that were not Jewish, but they were pretty far and few between. This is God's church. This was God's church being yes. wiped out. And if God's church had been wiped out, would we be sitting here talking to you on Faith FM this morning? No. That's right. And, and yeah, Persia re- basically ruled the entire world. And so if they make this decree that all Jews in the world get wiped out, then there goes all of God's Christians in the world wiped out. But how does it get passed down to us today? It doesn't. That's right. And, of course, it was uh, through the Jewish people that Jesus comes, the Messiah comes. And I don't discount the fact that God is God and God is powerful mm. and God was able, would be able to raise up deliverance somewhere else. But the fact remains is that when you look at this story, Esther was placed there by God for a specific purpose at a specific time, and she was in the most influential position to actually effect a change. Um, and what an incredible change that she was able to effect. Okay, so here we've got somebody who is dealing with um, you know some massive cultural issues, um, and you know you want to talk about stress and trauma when culture clashes with um, you know with the with the with the societal norms because you know we look at our world today and there is a lot of friction between um, Western society and Islam, for instance, and so a lot of the time Islam is seen as being the enemy. And, uh, and of course, back then, you know, Judaism was what was seen as being the enemy. Um, and so you see these, 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 these pressures coming on. And, you know, Esther is, she's got, she's got courage. And she didn't, I mean, she, look at the change in her life. She went from losing both of her parents to being an orphan to then going to another home, learning a whole new thing, and then growing up in regular society, but as a Jew in a secular society, but then going to the royal courts. That's a whole nother culture. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we talk about the Queen of England and the, the culture inside the palace. We don't know really what it's like, but there's rules. There's, oh, yeah. There's, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a totally different culture, even though it's in the same country. Yeah. Yep. You can't just uh, turn up and, uh, um, you know, as Meghan Markle and just continue on uh, being the same <laughs> kind of person that you were always were before. You have to do a whole edu- go through a whole educational process and find out what you are allowed to do and what you are not allowed to do as a uh, as as a princess. And in the process of all of that, though, she held on to Jesus. She fell onto God as her faith, and I think that's that's a real key to us in the changes we all go through in this life. Hanging on to Jesus for everything we've got. 
Marcus, I don't think it could have been stated more powerfully than what you have just shared right there. Thank you for pointing us to Jesus at the end of this Bible study. This is Dale and Bradley. Everything you do. You've got to walk a little straighter and pray a little louder and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You've got to show a little kindness and be an example. Everything you do touches someone else. We are all children in this church of life don't be afraid to share with your brother he may not look like you remember god loves him too we need to show compassion for one another you've got to walk a little straighter and pray a little louder and love your neighbor as you love yourself you've got to show a little kindness and be an example everything you do Touches someone wholesome fun for the kids these school holidays? Maitland Church is having its winter break frog fun day again for six to nine year olds. What do you mean frog Lyle? Is this a fun day for amphibians? No. Frog stands for fully relying on God and this holiday's theme is dare to be different. Activities include songs, Bible stories, crafts and snacks. This is a one-day only special event on Wednesday, the 10th of July, starting at 9am. To register your kids, call 0411 The address is 72 Brunswick Street, East Maitland. Kids, you are welcome to bring all your friends, but book now as spaces are limited. That number again, 0411 760. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever I'd stay in the garden with him Though the night around me is falling But he bids me go Through the voice of hope His voice to me is called Tells me I am his own And the joy we share As we tarry there None other has ever You're listening to Alan Jackson with In the Garden here on Faith FM. Well, I forgot to give a clue for the quiz in the last segment, so I'm going to give two now to make up for it. Uh, So we're doing the what number am I quiz this morning. And uh, let's go to clue number two and three. Uh, What number am I? The The chapter in Luke's gospel that records the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the next clue is the number of tribes of Israel that make up the northern kingdom. Mm. Mm. I got another clue. I'm going to give give another clue right now. Go on. This answer proves that God likes Australia better than America. That's super cryptic. I have. (laughs) Don't stress if you don't know what you're talking about. No, it's not actually true. I don't know what um, you're talking about. There is. There is within what I just said, which is not a true statement because God loves every country just the same. Um, But within my statement, there is a cryptic clue. Um, which I'm sure we'll have we to could find even out say that God likes France better than England. Do you know what? I'm just going to leave you in your crypticness and just move straight on. Uh, so now we're up into question of the day. Today's question is a really good one, Lyle. Okay. Does the Bible say the Sabbath is important at the end of time? That's a really interesting question, and a little bit of background. You know, the person was sort of saying that you know, talking to us as Adventists and 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 
particularly, you know, a Seventh-day Adventist, and we say that the Sabbath is important because God said the Sabbath is important in the Ten Commandments. And uh, we point out that it's important at the end of time, seal of God and so forth. And so we have to answer this question. Is the Sabbath important to God at the end of time? So we're going to start um, in Matthew chapter 24. And while we are turning there, I just want to point out that the fourth commandment is the only one that is quoted in the book of Revelation, quoted, I think, four times in the book of Revelation. There's two of them that are coming to mind immediately right now. And so out of all of the commandments, this is the one that we are directed to, particularly in relation to the issue of worship. And so we know that worship is the issue at the end of time. Revelation 13, sort of Revelation 12, 13, 14, those are your central chapters to the book of Revelation dealing with end time events. And in 13 itself, within a 12 verse segment, you have the issue of worship comes up five times. This is a major, major theme uh, of the end of time. And the question really comes down to uh, at the end of time is who do you worship? And how does God differentiate between those who worship him their way as compared to those who worship him uh, the way that he asks them to do so? Really, really that's the, the issue with the Sabbath. Anyway, Matthew chapter 24, and I just want to remind everybody uh, what Matthew 24 is all about. Uh, the Bible says in verse 3, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? And then they go and they ask another question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? We know the temple was destroyed 70 years um, after Christ. But then it goes on, uh, 70 AD. But then it says, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? And so Jesus goes on to answer both of these questions, but he focuses his attention specifically on, on the end of time, in other words, on our day. And as he goes down through, he gives some advice as to what we should do in our day. You know, he says there'll be wars and rumors of wars and this event, that event, the other event uh, will take place. You know, the gospel will go to the whole world, etc. Um, he talks about persecution, uh, being against, you know, God's people. Um, in verse 10, many shall be offended and will betray one another and, and will hate one another, and you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So it talks about hatred towards Christianity. We can see a little bit of that happening, uh, just sort of sneaking around the edges, even here in a free country like Australia these days. Uh, then it goes on and says uh, this in verse 20. It says, but pray. We are told to pray for two things. So there are only two things that God specifically asks us to pray about at the end of time. Number one, pray that your flight, in other words, when you have to escape, is not in the winter, well, that makes sense, neither on the Sabbath day. These are the only two things that we are specifically told to pray about specifically at the end of time. Obviously, there are going to be a lot of important things we're going to need to pray about, but this is what God instructs us to pray about. And so we know that if God is specifically, if you know, Jesus stopped right there and says, okay, at the end of time, this is what I want you to do. I want you to stop, and I want you to pray about the Sabbath, 
We know that the Sabbath is going to be a central issue. It's going to be critically important amongst God's people at the end of time. That's what Jesus said. Thank you so much, Lyle. If you have a question, give us a call. Our number is 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. God took six days and created earth and moon and stars and sun. On the seventh day he rested from the work that he had done. Then he blessed it, made it holy as a gift for Matt and Josie Minicus with Temple of Time and we were nearly out of time and I didn't realise we were out of time. You I thought we had new- another song. You picked up the newspaper and started to exit the studio and, you're, <laughs> and the producers were like, uh, where are you going? <laughs> you're back on air in 10 seconds. <laughs> anyway, we've got a book to give away that you need to read, Mon. Yes, indeed. This is because a Because really you need great to book. figure out how to decode my cryptic clues. Oh, please. Um, Decoding Bible Prophecy is a book by Ron E. M. Cluzet, and it is the book that Cluzet. we are giving away today. So, Cluzet, that we are giving away today as part of our free 
go far for the end of the show. All you have to do is you don't have to answer any of Lyle's cryptic clues. All you've got to do is be the first person to call us now on 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. Get a copy of this great book. Um, this book goes all through uh, Bible prophecy, um, talks about you know what the Bible prophets were saying, the, the apocalyptic prophets such as Daniel, John the Revelator. Um, I think it even touches on the, the um, what you were talking about in the question of the day, Lyle. Uh, so this is a really great book, definitely one that you want to get a copy of and read if you would like to further understand the Bible and some of the deeper um, Bible messages uh, such as the Bible prophecy. So Decoding Bible Prophecy by Ron E. M. Cluzet, uh, fabulous book, First Person Through, 1-800-FAITH-FM. Absolutely. So highly recommended and uh, an author who has uh, really brought revival to many people and churches around the world. Don't forget that if you'd like to uh, study the Bible, small groups, one-on-one, correspondence, Online, We can make that happen for you. We'd yes. love to make it happen for you. Give us a call. You know what our number is. Or shoot us a text message on 
Jesus with you. 